Welcome to the DIA podcast series. We're coming to you high up Hamilton Street in the Dalton Innovation Accelerator at the historic landmark building overlooking downtown Dalton. I'm Bob Caperton, and joining me is Barry Slaymaker. And I'll tell you, Barry, we're just a couple of schleps compared to the guy we're about to interview. Our guest today is Brian Macon, and what a guest he is. He is a Dalton, Georgia business and philanthropic leader. Uh, currently, he's president of Dorset Industries, an industry leader in automotive carpet manufacturing. He recently served as chairman of the United Way Capital Campaign, where he exceeded his stated goal of $4.1 million raised. <clears throat> he currently serves as chairman of the board for Ross Woods Adult uh, Daycare and as co-chairman of the Entrepreneurship Strategy for Bleed Greater Dalton. And in the past, he has served as both president of the Farm Golf Club and the Dalton Golf and Country Club, in addition to chairman of the Automotive Aftermarket Industry Association. Wow, um, you must be a busy man. Uh, thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob. Thank you. That was a lot nicer introduction than the, my last introduction from uh, Barry last week when he started <laughs> off by saying that I was a real asset to the community. So thank you for that improvement. That was actually just the condensed version. Of I think that. I he was just, right and he was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, it, it's it's interesting, Brian. I was going through your bio as, as we were preparing for this, and I, I did not realize how old you were uh, and that the amount that you had accomplished in the 1920s and 1930s uh, was just, it blew my mind. And then I realized that was your 20s and 30s, and I feel pretty <laughs> ridiculous, though. Uh, but, you know, Bob... You know, Bob highlighted a few of the things that, that you've been able to accomplish, but I think what's going to be really interesting for everybody here is about where it all began for Brian Macon. You know, the, the days that were back at Georgia, back in your youth, kind of the lemonade stand, the basketball playing, kind of where, where did that all start? That's what I think we'd like to start today. With, with my mother. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, where, where the entrepreneurship part? Yeah, yeah just where we like to take. Um, you know, I, I really do remember it vividly. Uh, it started when I was seven years old, and I don't tell very many people this, uh, so uh, it's just it's just between us, right? That's right. Um, <laughs> Nobody because I tell everybody I yeah. grew up in Atlanta, but for the first fourteen years, I grew up in the Northeast, and uh, my first job making money was at the age of seven, uh, shoveling snow. Uh, for the neighbors' sidewalks and, and, and driveways, and my older brother uh, included me in that, and I think he, you know, probably did something fair where he kept seventy-five percent of the proceeds and gave me twenty-five percent. <laughs> and um, at that age, uh, I looked at that. I I thought this is great. What a, you know, all you have to do is work and you get money. So it, it started really with. Um, the snow shoveling, it got to the point where we even got a, a snowblower and we did the church's driveway and sidewalks and we had a real uh, thing going. And then uh, when I moved to Atlanta, I uh, started uh, mowing yards in the neighborhood um, and, and extended that to cleaning gutters um, in, in the fall. Uh, put my way through most of uh, Georgia by doing those type of things. Uh, and... Um, even did the sorority houses, uh, the gutter cleaning for the sorority houses while I was in Athens. Mm. So uh, it, it, it started early and um, just found that, you know, that uh, with, with some hard work, you know, came, came some dividends and uh, it, that thought process has never changed my mind. That's great. That's great. Uh, I think a lot of entrepreneurs of your caliber would share similar stories about throughout their life, early entrepreneurial endeavors. 
If you don't mind, would you would you take us back to? Uh, I know you were a, a, a good basketball player in high school at North North Springs, I believe. Did any of that uh, uh, sports? Did they have any impact on your competitive nature that later helped you in business? Oh, I think most definitely. Um, I, 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 number one, I found out my limitations. I uh, I played my first year at University of Georgia and realized at that point in time that uh, there were a lot um, bigger, faster better players than I was, but it was a great, it was a great experience. Um, I think the joke at Dorset's kind of the fact that, you know, they've, they've never met a more competitive person in their life than, than me. And I said, well, you've never met my older brother. Um, Barkley was the one that uh, if we played tiddlywinks or we played anything, it was um, get it on and uh, you're here. You're here to try to you know to beat me, and and you try to win, and and I think that the sports um, is definitely a, a big playmaker in that competitive spirit. So at at Georgia, uh, besides just cleaning gutters at sorority houses, what were you what were you doing while you were there? Were you, uh, business school, or what I, were you studying? I was in the, the Terry School of Business and uh, studying marketing, and. Um, um, Pretty much, it was a it was a strange time in the early seventies, um, where people talk about trying to put, uh, stay in school for five or six years. Um, I was dating uh, Debbie at the time, and we got married going into our, our fourth year, so we both were in a hurry to get out. We both graduated early because uh, when you're in married housing, um, uh, you had a great incentive to try to. to to go out and try to start a living, uh, to make a living. So um, pretty much my, my college time between basketball and, uh, and work was, was that. Uh, I envy some of the stories I hear from, you know, like Bob Caperton and others that had, had all the big times. They're and all the, real. And, and I know they're real. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it was pretty much serious business for me, even at that stage of, of doing that. Um, but it was a great experience. Um, I think the best experience that I had was um, I was chosen by an international company called Cheeseboro Ponds, uh, where they um, went through uh, the colleges in the southeast and chose four candidates to be uh, a salesperson uh, between their third and fourth year. So I was chosen, and, and there was a contest between four of us, anywhere, ranging anywhere from Texas to uh, to, to Georgia, and. Uh, it's pretty unique when you're at the age of 21, you have a, a car traveling allowance and uh, you're traveling Georgia, Florida, Alabama, and Tennessee in, in three months time period. And it was a really, it was a game changer in regards to having a one up uh, upon graduation of having that type of experience. That's great. So um, you graduated college in 74. Four, is that right? Yes. Would you mind taking us up from maybe the point at which you graduated um, to your first job, and then maybe from there to, to Dorset? Yeah, um, because of that work experience that I had with yeah. Cheeseboro Ponds, I, I was in a unique situation when I uh, was interviewing Bob. Um, I, I pretty much had an offer from everybody I interviewed uh, because I, I had the proven track record of, of that uh, sales experience, um, and, which was positive. And, uh, so, so I had a lot of the traditional, you know, companies, uh, that you had the Xeroxes and the pharmaceutical companies and this and that. And 
Um, I had one rogue offer, which was uh, a friend of uh, Debbie's family who had been watching me through the years, unbeknownst to me, uh, for some of my entrepreneurial endeavors. And he um, he was getting ready to start a spinning mill in in uh, Trenton, South Carolina, Aiken, South Carolina, called Consolidated Yarns. And uh, Tobe Garrett was the owner, and he offered me a job at the age of 21 to become a uh, sales representative for his new yarn company. So um, he said there was one stipulation. I had to move to Dalton, Georgia, and being from Atlanta, I pleaded and kicked and screamed and said, can I please commute from somewhere? And he said, no, you're going to come to Dalton. You're going to be part of the community. You're going to go to church there, and you're going to become a member uh, of, of the community. And uh, best thing that he ever did, and within six months of moving to Dalton, um, I knew I was going to live here the rest of my life. I, I fell in love with the community, fell in love with uh, the industry. Uh, it was an interesting time in the, in the 70s and early 80s. It was uh, most probably the similar thing I can think of was California Gold Rush. Um, there was a vibrancy there. We had over 300 carpet mills at that time that were uh, doing business in the industry. And uh, it, it was... Uh, it was fantastic that you had a combination of a small town atmosphere of Dalton uh, at that point in time doing about, I think, somewhere around $6 billion of, of, of business. And that was a unique combination. I, I thought that was just really special. I still think, do. I think nothing really typifies the the phrase I've heard a number of times, more, more so than probably Dalton was in the 70s, that the Mayberry meets Manhattan type yeah. approach. There was so much going on in the city that there, was, there was unbelievable. A, it was unbelievable. There was a lot going on. That's probably one of the reasons why Dalton was the divorce capital of the world uh, for the United States for several years in a, in a row. Um, it, it was a lot was going on at that time. And like you said, a, a change was taking place mm. in, in this town. So from that point, you're, you've moved here to Dalton, and how long do you stay in that role or in that company, and, and, and how does the, the Dorset opportunity end up presenting itself? Um, the first job as a sales representative uh, only lasted um, a year. We went from being sold up in uh, April, May, June, July, August, et cetera. Um, I thought my job was to basically uh, answer the uh, the, the demands of the customers for needing more yarn and telling them I couldn't get it to them to October 74 uh, became the uh, the crash of the economy and we went from running you know full to having it shut down mm -hmm. and uh, Bib Yarns at that time had come after me three times during that year to come aboard with them and um, after a while when we were shut down and uh, uh, they had let two other people go. I decided to take their offer on the third time. So I went to work with Bib Yarns, and then from there um, worked um, uh, with several other different Joe Maya company, and then started uh, my own company, Southern Backing and Southern Corporation. And um, then your question of how I led to Dorset uh, was the fact that Stan Goodrow, the founder of Dorset Industries, and I, despite our 15 years age uh, difference, we're best friends. And uh, uh, our mutual accountant um, put the two of us together, which we never thought about at the time, and said, why don't the two of you all uh, become partners? And so uh, 20 uh, years ago, um, I sold the companies and became partners with Stan and um, 
best best decision I ever made in my life. You, Besides Debbie. And how long did, did you have Southern backing? I had Southern backing for uh, 15, 15 years. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, then immediately following that was the opportunity of Dorset. Uh, was the opportunity of Dorset to become partners with Stan to become president of Dorset Industries. Yeah. So right. that, that's been 20 years. It's been 20 years. In 20 years, a lot must have changed at Dorset. The you know, under your leadership, kind of what? How has Dorset changed? How has you know how has Dorset impacted the industry in the last 20 years? Well, Dorset's changed a lot in 20 years. We've we've uh, we've grown uh, multiple times. Um, we've grown our sales. We've grown our facilities, both in Dalton and now our latest acquisition in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, um, in, in 2000, beginning of 2018, um, we went from at the time when uh, I came aboard, we were 100% aftermarket carpet and marine. Um, today, we are now 90% OEM uh, automotive carpet, with the balance of the less than 10% being into automotive aftermarket and and marine carpet. So our our mixture has changed quite a bit. We entered. We entered into the OEM market, um, uh, you could say, with the big boys of that time that, that uh, controlled the automotive market, and um, we, we entered that market, and we've uh, been relatively successful in it. The that's that's a big change. I mean, you essentially changed the model for how you were going to go to market. There, it sounds like. Yeah, um, completely. But it didn't take a genius to, to figure it out, Barry. I mean, at the time, um, Stan had built our particular segment. He owned a, uh, a Dorset had about 99% of our particular segment of, of the business, of, of the automotive replacement carpet business. Um, and, and so if you're going to grow and you already own that percentage of the business, you better find another market, another segment. So the OEM business was a, uh, a, a very large segment, um, tremendously larger than the, the aftermarket. And so uh, if we were to grow the company, that was an avenue that I chose that we had to go and enter into. And, and we, you know, we were at the beginning a, a minor league player playing with uh, major league ball players uh, uh, in, in that particular segment of the business. And over the 20 years, we've, we've, uh, we've built our own reputation. Can you, I don't know if you can share this, can you tell us what uh, what manufacturers might have Dorset carpet if somebody has, is driving around today listening to this? Pretty much we, uh, about any manufacturer, um, including, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the, the Tesla uh, to um, Chrysler, GM, Ford, um, Subaru, um, Nissan, it, we do business with most everybody, and wow. if we not, if we not presently doing it, we're, we we're, we've done it in the past, and so um, we've made entry into really with with every single automotive manufacturer, with with the exception really of um, of Mercedes uh, would probably be the only one that we have not entered into, and we uh, pretty much have just stayed away from that. Could you share maybe the the odds that someone listening to this podcast? The odds that there's Dorset carpet in their car? Well, if you told me what they were driving, Bob, I could tell you real good their odds. Um, <laughs> so, so it really depend on their make and model on that. Uh, I can tell you this. If you see an older uh, vehicle um, in the parking lot that's a 50, 60, 
uh, you know, Super Sport or Corvette or any of those old uh, vintage cars out mm-hmm. there, I'd say probably the chance is probably over 90% that wow. it's got Dorset carpet. So um, My Tesla does have it. Your, tes- your Tesla does have it. This, it sounds like there's a good chance that anybody listening to us at some point has rested their feet on Dorset carpet. I hope so. If not, they need to. <laughs> and I, I hate to, to dwell on this too much. I'm just so fascinated by it, and I think people will be as well. And I know it stretches over a 20-plus year time period, but were there was there any critical moments or any anything you could share about your success at Dorset that may be help, helpful to our listeners? Maybe the qualities you brought to the table that helped, or maybe critical junctures where you made a big decision. Is there anything, I mean, we've got, you know, we hope to have aspiring entrepreneurs listening to this podcast, anything they would be able to glean? Um, you know, I, th- I think with any entrepreneurship, there's there's the risk-reward factor that takes place. And, and um, I, I think you need to, to, to always be weighing that. You know, um, if your risks are great, and uh, your rewards are minimal, then, uh, you know, obviously be, be thinking twice about that. Um, but, but you're always taking risk in business. It's just a matter of, I guess probably the biggest thing is trying to be um, prepared for opportunities. And I think that's the real key to success in, in, for an entrepreneurship. Uh, I'll, I'll quote uh, an old, old uh, person that said, uh, Earl Nightingale said that prepared, when preparedness meets uh, opportunity, that, then you can have success. And, and so I think the biggest message would be to always try to prepare yourself for opportunities so that when they do come, you're able to take advantage of them. Would you say you've obviously been successful where other people may not have been given the same opportunity? and you were prepared for that, it, it sounds like. But what is it that differentiates you from somebody else that could have been in your shoes that may not have been as successful? That's, that's a tough question, Barry. Um, I, I, you know, all my life, my, uh, I've had my family and everybody tell me how, how lucky I am. And I, and I am lucky. I, I, I'm, I'll concede that uh, I've been very, very lucky, but I've also found in my life that the harder one works, the, the, the luckier one gets. And that can either be back to you, Bob, in regards to sports um, or in business. You know, the, the, those people didn't get good just by accident. Um, and there's a lot of sacrifice that goes in there. And um, I think any, I think when people uh, are willing to put that sacrifice in there and they have the passion for whatever they're trying to accomplish, then they have a good opportunity to do that. But, um, you know, th- those people uh, that, that got so good in, 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 uh, in, in sports, um, they, they, they paid a price for it. They paid a price for it in the weight room. They paid a price for it uh, throughout their conditioning and, and practice. Um, they just didn't all of a sudden wake up one day and, and, and get lucky and get good. So um, I think that's probably the biggest message is, you know, you, 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 need, to, you need to work hard uh, for your preparation to, to put yourself in that position, be able to take advantage of it. And there, you know, there have been, there have been times when uh, I've been better prepared than others. And uh, 
Um, and I've tried to learn from the lessons when I perhaps missed an opportunity because uh, I had not been as well prepared as I could have been. Um, I always tell people that, and I've, I've told my children this, if you always give it your best and you work the hardest you can to make something happen, it doesn't happen, you don't ever have to look back on it. The only times that it bothers me on a missed opportunity is when I know that I could have done something different to get the results that I, that I had wanted. That's when it bothers me. It doesn't bother me when you give the full effort and there's nothing that you look back on and say, gee, you know, if I had just done that, I could have, I could have gotten that sale, I could have made that accomplishment. So I think that's the biggest. Thing. And it's, it seems like, like you, you know, as a, an outsider, a community member, maybe I should say, it seems like you give that type of effort in everything you do, um, you know, from the United Way to, uh, to your church, um, to Chamber of Commerce, to, you know, you're, you're chairman of more organizations than I could list. Um, what, why, are you, why do you do that? Um, first of all, I've, I've had good teachers, Bob, that taught me that I should, okay? I think that's number one. Uh, particularly in this town, when I, when I came to Dalton, uh, we have a tradition here in Dalton uh, of, of givers. We have a tradition of people that are no longer, a generation that's no longer with us, that sent, that set the message to the leaders and to the community that you give back. And, and that's something that um, I heard loud and clear. And the people that influenced me when I uh, was younger and I saw what they were doing, um, they basically taught me that's something that you should do. And uh, I hope that perhaps I've learned that lesson and I can maybe give that lesson to somebody else to, to, to be able to follow. The, the, before we move on, I, I want to touch on something you just said and ask, you know, you've mentioned that you had good teachers that taught you this, and then you say that you'd like to pass this on. How are you passing on this mentality to the next generation? That, that's the people that you're leading. How are you passing on to them that they need to also be involved? I just think you, you, you said it by uh, your example of living, uh, of your life, uh, Barry. Um, I think just like when I was in my 20s and 30s, I was watching, um, I was watching the leaders of this community. I was watching what they were doing. I was watching them give back their time and services and their and, and their financial resources. And, and um, I think that um, you 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 just try to follow in their footsteps and their in their huge footsteps. We, we we've got the, the, the most generous community in this country. And we've got the best leaders of that giving that, that, that I think anywhere. Um, it's, it's interesting that you, you, you mentioned some of that stuff. And I, I, I really admire what you've done. It's, it's really been an honor to work with you on some of those committees. Um, but I talk to some members of those committees and I talk to others and I get completely different views on the, on the status of Dalton. Um, and it's not... It, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. You know, I, I live in Dalton, and it seems like a phenomenal place, and I think I share your view. But you talk to some people, and, and they seem to think that, it, that, it, that we're declining, that we're in a bad spot. And then, like I said, you talk to others, and they think we're on the ascent, we're getting better, we're coming out of the recession. Where do you stand on the, on the current status of Dalton? 
Um, I'm very optimistic. I, I believe in um, I believe in the greater uh, believe greater Dalton movement. Um, I respect varying views um, that have been expressed in this community. I know that a lot of the people that are expressing that on, on different views, they're, they're stepping out and, and they're, they're, they're saying what they believe with, with their passion and I respect that. Um, and, and I'm not, and I'm not discounting, I don't discount uh, everything that's being said one way or the other. I think we, I think that uh, we definitely uh, have, are building momentum back into this community. We took a big hit in 2008 um, and it set us uh, back, but I truly do believe that we still have that spirit in this community that will move this forward. I believe the work that the Chamber of Commerce is doing and, and, um, and, and I believe that, um, you know, that, that better days are, are ahead of us. Um, do we have challenges? Yes, damn right, we have, we have challenges. Um, but I also believe we, we've got the resources, we've got the people, and, and we've got the financial wherewithal to be able to address those. Brian, what is the, I mean, what's the path forward from here? What, what is our best path? We have, sounds like you believe that we have an opportunity here, but what do we do now? We roll up our sleeves just like anything, Barry, and we go to work one one task at a time. And um, we've got a lot of different tasks. We've got the the uh, beautification of Dalton. Uh, we've got the downtown planning that needs to continue on to, to be able to develop the downtown area the way we need. Um, we have challenges in our educational system that uh, is is well discussed and well known and we've we've got to continue to to address those uh issues and and those challenges to improve um so you take one each of those different segments and you and you, and, and you whittle away by by trying to address and, and look at your weaknesses look at your strengths decide where you're going to go what your vision is and then the final part is then with the tools that we have, how are we going to get there? And if we don't have the tools, what tools do we need to be able to get to where we want to go? Brian, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put words in your mouth because what I just heard you say sounded a lot like what you said a few minutes ago. Uh, we as a community need to work hard and be prepared for when our opportunities come along, much like we talk about for entrepreneurs. We need to put ourselves in a position to succeed. Is that a fair statement? That's a fair statement. So, Great catch there, by the way. The, uh, yeah, I, I think as we kind of near the end here, there's something that I would like to ask, um, and, and we'll make this a last question, Bob, unless you have something else you'd like to add. The, you know, we've heard, you know, we, we've heard the story where it began and the path to Dorset and how involved you've been up to this point in the community. But I know you to be a competitive person and not one to accept the status quo. Uh, you told me that same story the first time that we met about uh, being almost as competitive as your brother. And, and, and that, that really resonated with me because I think my response was, you're not as competitive as I am. But, <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, but, the, uh, but I think in my mind that means that you're not going to be willing to just stay where you are and accept 
you know, accept things for what they are. So what does the future look like for Brian Macon? And what does the future look like for Dorset? And what's the, the next big thing that people can keep their eyes out that's going to happen? Well, I, you know, I'll answer the first question. What's next? Let's see. This coming Saturday, uh, you and I are going to be joining a group that's going to do some beautification on a beautiful key piece of property um, uh, with the waterfalls across from where um, uh, Holiday Inn mm -hmm. is, uh, or the Hilton, excuse me, it's, it's Hilton now. Um, that's the first step. So Debbie and I are going to be joining the Civitan group and trying to uh, lead that effort into beautifying that particular property. Um, so this, we take it one step at a time. So that's this coming weekend. Um, beyond that, you know, um, we'll continue to be uh, involved um, in, in the entrepreneurship part of the, of the um, Dalton Innovative Accelerator. Um, I am going to um, stop saying um, yes as often um, as, as I have. Um, Debbie and I would like some time to be able to enjoy a little vacation uh, uh, that we haven't been able to, to really do with some of our commitments that we've made. So Debbie has agreed that she's going to start being a little bit more selective and I've agreed to be a little bit more selective um, in what we, we say uh, that we're going to do. Um, our hearts will always be there. Um, hopefully our financial support will be in those projects that we have passion for and, and be able to, to make improvements. Um, so uh, probably a little more of the same but just not quite as, as much um, in regards to Dorset. Um, Debbie says, I can't retire until I'm 82. Um, <laughs> and believe it or not, I'm not quite there yet. Uh, I, I've got, um, that, that, that'd give me another 15 years and uh, I'm not sure that that's gonna, her plan's gonna be my plan. <laughs> um, but I, I don't have retirement in, in my, in my uh, sights right now. Um, and uh, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I'm enjoying right now the biggest key and the difference to Dorset is that we've become an employee stock, become an ESOP company, employee stock uh, ownership uh, plan where uh, Stan and I sold the company to the employees um, in December 2015. And quite frankly, I'm working uh, on, on behalf of the employees to be able to build their equity in the company. And I'm enjoying the heck out of that, trying to change the lives of, of, of our employees that are working hard on behalf of, of Dorset Industries. So that's, that's really a neat part of, of my stage in life right now is that I feel like I'm working for them and, and, and I'm, it's not so much working for Debbie or myself or the family anymore. So it's a neat, it's a neat place to be. Brian. I just want to thank you for being here. Um, your story is uh, inspiring to me and I'm sure to a lot of other people. It's impressive and it's just really interesting. Um, everybody, we'll have another episode next month. That's a wrap. See you then.